So, welcome to another episode of I Love You Say This. I'm your host, Tony Kristen Walker. And today, I got my favorite co-host with me again today. Oh, I love that I'm the favorite. You're my favorite. So, um, how's it been going? Well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Children, highly overrated. Children, I'm tired. I'm real tired. <laughs> they are highly overrated. Well, um, so, we've had some really good conversations in the past couple weeks. And so I kind of want to do like a deep dive into uh, something that we touched on that's part of every aspect of our lives. And uh, I just kind of want to do a little unpacking. So it is racism, racism, racism. I can tell that people are shocked that you and I are going <laughs> to talk about racism. Yeah, well, they need to get ready for it. Cause here, um, <laughs> no, but like, so it's been a lot of stuff that has gone on in the last two to three weeks since we did our last podcast. Mm-hmm. And all of it centers around some form of racism that is triggered by a white fragility that, I don't know, it's just the weirdest thing. Like, I don't understand why people don't get certain things. <laughs> so, like, seriously, so for people who don't know and haven't been following me on Facebook, about two weeks ago I got attacked by this white guy uh, from another organization here. Um, he he was, he said that he's, um, how did he say it? He has visitor status with another organization here, another LGBTQ organization, and that he was kind of upset or offended by something that I had said. All I had talked about was how Birmingham Black Pride was formed. And we were formed because we could not get a seat at the table for Central Alabama Pride, which has been around for, you know, 500 years. So we formed our own group. We have no animosity towards them. We have no one can say that we said anything negative about them because, I mean, honestly, we don't care. They I read the quote. You said whether intentional or not, there was this exclusion. There was this exclusion, right? I, also, the example you used was the music they choose, right? Um, which is such a great example of like, look, I don't know if you did this on purpose, but here's one of the ways that people can feel excluded and exactly. not well represented. Right, right. But that, off- that offended him. Yes. So I'm, I'm like, fuck your feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I don't care. Do you know how offended I am every day by this bullshit that I have to go through? But, um, you know, and not making light of it, but, you know, fuck his feelings. Yes. Like, but how, so as a white person. Yeah. Because I think that maybe going through an evolution. Oh, like this will be fun. White people never get asked to speak on behalf of white people. Yeah, I'm go for speak it. For this white is going to be fun. <laughs> as a white person, as a queen of the whites. Yes. What about talking about racism makes white people so uncomfortable oh so i have a couple of theories about it and i'm not quite sure what it is i've actually i've actually been reading white fragility lately so i think first of all people are naturally defensive about anything right right? so if they're being accused of something especially if they're being accused of something as egregious as racism then their defenses go up. They go into, like, fight or flight, right? And so there's just this kind of, like, indignation. How dare you accuse me of this? I think that's running up against the fact that we socially have this narrative where, like, unless I'm using the N-word, you don't get to call me racist. (laughs) Right? So, like, there's there's this idea that racism has to be overt, deliberate, and covered in a white hood for it to be racism, which is not true. Not at all. So... 
I think there's, I think people react as though like, you just called me someone who would use the N-word, but I would never use the N-word. How dare you think that about me? Right. Um, and of course, you know, as many commentators point out, like somewhere along the line, we made being accused of racism worse than racism. <laughs> so that like the real victim in the narrative is the one who's accused of racism. So I think there's that. I wow. also think... You know, I teach educational justice, and one of the things we talk about is leveling the playing field in education. Right. And students do not like hearing how much advantage they have that they didn't earn. Students do not and, – and, and that's not even in a race context. We do eventually talk about it in a race context. But that's just like, did your parents read you bedtime stories? Did they help you with homework? Did they have books in the house so that you thought reading was a leisure activity? Right? Like, right. Um, and students get really upset and there's this like, I worked for this. Don't you tell me I didn't work for this. And it, it's as though you're like stripping away a part of their identity or something by implying that like, maybe there's something unfair about the background conditions. And there is. <laughs> uh, and so I think this like, there's this deep unfairness. We don't typically call that racism. We should. I mean, you and I typically right, call it racism, right. but in the public narrative, we don't call it racism. In the public narrative, it's racist only if the N-word is used. Although, even when people get called out on that, it's like, well, I was stressed, or like, I was drunk, or that was way back when, you know, like, we're still not quite willing to flip the switch and say, like, or maybe you're racist. Or maybe you're racist. One possibility. Right. Um, and you know this about me, right? So I have the view, I'm less troubled by accusations of racism because I have the view that everybody's racist, right? So, like... Of course I have implicit bias. That's, that's part of what the research tells me, right. right, is that I have to actively work. Um, so do you think black people are racist? I don't think they can be. Okay. So I think black people can be prejudiced. Um, or biased. Or biased. Yes. But I think that racism is the prejudice plus power mm -hmm. model. And since there's never been the power. You'd be surprised the number of black people who I get into arguments with about that. One of my friends, uh, Janine, made a post about... It was one of those white fragility posts. And then there were people who were like like batting down her idea. And there was even a black guy who came on there and said, listen, I know poor white people. So you can't say that. And I was sitting there thinking like, what the fuck? Like just because the white people that you knew have shitted away their white privilege and they use it for their good, <laughs> don't act like white privilege is not a thing because it most definitely is. Right. Arrest them and see what happens. Well, yeah. See right. how quickly privilege shows up when call you're charging the, them with a Call crime. the police on them and see what's ha ha what happens. Let them shoot at a police officer and see what happens. Also, their poverty is likely blamed on systemic forces like right. immigration or recession or globalization or automation, whereas uh, the poverty of black persons lazy. is blamed on lazy. We're just lazy, yeah. Lazy and fatherless. Those yeah, are the, like, it. if yeah. only they had a good man, it could overturn all of the systemic issues. Um, yeah, I the... The other thing that's funny to me about, like, can black people be – I don't know and I don't care. Why, like, why does it matter? Right. It's not – it's kind of the ultimate whataboutism, right? Mm. So, like, oh, there's racism. Well, white people are really racist. Maybe we redefine racism such that black people can be racist. Fine. If they don't have the power, it's just not a morally – it's not a moral urgent concern. The other thing is that – White people's preference for white people is wholly arbitrary. Right. Insofar as black people might be biased against white people, it's not wholly arbitrary. <laughs> it's like, well, the whole history of our experience with you suggests that we should not trust you. So so even when that guy made that <laughs> dumbass right. But even when that guy made that dumbass comment on my friend Janine's post, this is what I was thinking. 
like when you look at if you just get like a cloud, just say you got a cloud of people, like you got the cloud of white people here, you got the cloud of black people here. Let's just say some Latinos are here, right? When you look at the cloud, if the, you look at the cloud in the darker areas of the cloud represented power and privilege, right? So like in the white people cloud, you have like 70, 80 percent mm-hmm. that really, really darkness. So they actually will have power over these other two minority groups. If you look at the black cloud, you may have 10 to 15 percent with that really, really dark color. But they can only exhibit power over the, the Latinx group. Yeah. You know. So when you think about the way that racism is formed, you might be able to reasonably make the the argument there are levels of racism, but when you think about it in this wholeness, it is a structure that is totally benefit, created to benefit white people. Oh yeah, and there's this whole history on like the phenomenon of becoming white, right? So like to avoid discrimination, the Irish had to become white, Jewish persons had to become white, like... There's this whole history of like the way you get out of it is you don't fix white people. You just become white people. That's the the only way to not be the victim of white people's racism is to become white. Yeah, you're right. Good luck with that, Tony. (laughs) I wish you well in all your endeavors. I'm going to do the Michael Jackson. Like, give me some bleaching cream (laughs) or something. Maybe I like a white woman. I don't know. But it's just, it's so frustrating. And I think white people frustrate me on this a lot. But nothing frustrates me more when I see black people making different comments like that. (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, we can be racist too. You absolutely cannot. Like, I also, I, I, I just keep coming back to this. I don't understand the point of that. Like, what does that, how does that advance the conversation? If we're talking about racism, presumably we're talking about it as something of like a moral harm that deserves to be fixed. Right. What is accomplished by focusing on the prejudice that black people might have towards white people? Right. What is, what, what's accomplished? Because what we're trying to do when we talk about the racism that white people express towards black people is try to pursue social, economic, and political equality. Right. Or equity. What, right, oh yeah, equity. Amen. <laughs> um, so what, and, and I, I think another thing, so one of the things I always think when I hear these like, well, these people can be that too, these people, is I think, I wish that we would stop saying all people are equal. Because I think what we should have been saying is that all people should be equal. And because we've said all people are equal, there's this tendency to try to equalize or to try, right, to to say like, well, they can be that too. Well, they can, and, and what they're trying to do is say there's really no difference. There's right. really, and I think we should have been saying people ought to be equal, which every time we said it would highlight the ways that we're not. Right treated that way instead of just saying they are which paints this picture where like oh we're done if everybody's equal then stop pointing out these differences tony (laughs) so let me ask you this so back to the uh offense like what what is about being called out on your bullshit that offends you (laughs) being called out i think it's being called out you know i've thought about this a lot (laughs) because um you know this like sometimes it's um, so I worry a lot that like I might get called out for something in large part because I'm afraid that I would be defensive. Like right. I'm afraid that I would, instead of viewing it just because I'm human, not, and I don't think this is defensible, but I worry that it would be like student evaluations of my courses, right? Where like my defenses go so fast right. that I get mad before I think like, is there anything constructive that I can use? Do I need to reflect on this? And the mad happens first. And then once you're mad, there is this tendency to double down, right? It's really rare that somebody reacts in anger and then is like, you know what? I hear what you're saying. Right. I should have reflected on that more. Um, and there is just this like, 
how dare you suggest that I am someone who would use the N-word, which is, of course, not what, <laughs> not what we were suggesting. We were suggesting that you're part of the background <laughs> conditions that make this problematic. But I think people don't recognize the background conditions either. You know, uh, after the Baltimore protests, which, just to start there, like, let's start refusing to call them riots. Right. So after the Baltimore protests, um, I read an article which a white man sent me for reasons I don't quite understand, except to be like, see, ha. And it was an article that was like, this isn't, it was after Freddie Gray, and it was, this isn't about race, this is about poverty. And I was like, oh, well, let's draw a nice big line between those and act like they don't, there's no... They don't intersect at all. But he said, in the article, it said, let's be honest, well-behaved people rarely find themselves in poverty. And I thought the nerve it and like this is published and this is reshared and this is so i think that there's and you and i have talked about this you and i have talked about this i blame i don't blame listeners i don't solely blame this on this phenomenon but the half rosa park story the like without pointing to the structure the infrastructure that was put in place to make that possible we just point to the individual right and so then when an individual is not single-handedly overcoming all the structural barriers. It's the individual's fault. We don't ever talk about the structural barriers. Um, And I think that that just makes me crazy. And then when an individual is called out, they don't behave as though they're being treated like part of the structural barrier. They behave as though, like, they're being treated like the individual solely responsible for the ills of the world. And how dare you? Right, which also goes back to those poor white people who will say, well... We're poor. We don't have privilege. So why yeah. are you lumping us into that? It's the, it's the exact same scenario. Oh, you know, the other thing that we haven't mentioned but is has bearing on white people getting so easily offended about this is that white people were raised not to talk about race. Yes. So white people, I, I, I always try to find the right way to phrase this because I'm always tempted to say, you know, I went 30 years without race being a part of my daily life. But that's not true. I just went 30 years without knowing that race was a part or of my daily about life. It. Right? Or, or having the need to talk about it. I didn't it. have a need to talk right, about right, it. Right, right, right. Um, and it was, you know, this has been a learning curve for my whole family um, is that suddenly this is a thing we talk openly about. And it's been weird for me because it's like I forget that this was a learning curve. So I expect the white people around me to just be ready to talk openly about right, right. these things too, which they most certainly are not. <laughs> um, I mean, my family is, but not, you know, I just, I make this mistake and think people are ready to talk about this. Um, but so I think it's like a double whammy, right? Which is that white people, this part's going to sound sympathetic. White people weren't given the tools to talk about race and they were actively discouraged from talking about race. Right, right. Um, and when we talk about race, it's only with civil rights. It's only in these glowing, like, but look at how you can raise yourself up and change everything. <laughs> By the um, and we do, like, even if you think about the way we teach history in schools, it's a very, like, well back then. Right. These things. And there's real danger in telling these narratives, like, oh, well, then this is what was true. Because we don't do that now. We don't do that now. Right. We do it, we just do it in a different way. There's, I mean, haven't you heard? Segregation <laughs> is over. <laughs> We had a black president. There's no so more we're race. done. We're done with that. We are done. Well, look, that takes us to a good little stopping point. We're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back, and I'm going to talk about a couple other things that kind of uh, are important to the subject. 
We'll see you in a second. Peace. Do you have an active sex life? PrEP is a once-a-day pill that prevents HIV and is now available at the Livewell PrEP Clinic on the south side of the hub. PrEP is safe for men and women who have active sex lives and want to decrease their chances of contracting HIV. For more information about PrEP and the Livewell PrEP Clinic, call 205-324-9822 or go to www.gcpm.com and click on appointments. Or if you just need to get tested, call us. We are back. Thank y'all for listening. To Let me say this. Um... We really enjoy putting this together for you, and thank you for listening on whichever platform you may be listening to. If y'all would, share this uh, with your friends, like us, give us a review, let us know what you think. Be careful, because we clap back, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> a little loose and free with the word we there, Timmy. Well, I clap back. I <laughs> so look, so uh, as we move into the second segment, I really want to talk about the way that white people move in society, because people don't think that... They move differently than we do, but they, but white people, that sense of privilege gives white people the, 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 the feeling that they can walk in front of people when they want to, or cut in front of line, just walk out in front of fucking traffic. Like, I saw this mm-hmm. lady literally walk out in the traffic <laughs> by UAB, and I'm like, well, no one's going to hit me because I'm white. And I'm sitting around here, even when I got the right away, like, let me watch this because my black ass might get hit. Like, I don't, I don't have the luxury to not. Pay attention to my surroundings. No. Also, you have to calculate, like, what would the outrage be if somebody did right. do that? None. 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 Absolutely none. So, you were telling me about a story about Ben being, uh, oh, using the race yeah. card at three. Yeah. Ben got accused of playing the race card at the ripe old age of three. So, he came home one day. Again, he's three. Just, like, friendly reminder. Right. Three. Um, and he came home and he said that he wished he had white skin. And I asked him why, you know, we try to encourage talk about, so I didn't want to say like, no, you did right. I, so I said, well, why do you feel like that? And he said, my teachers don't like me very much. And so later I was having a meeting with his teacher and the director. And the director said, how does he even see skin color? Which mercifully his teacher did at that moment be like, oh, uh, yeah, no, they said that, mm-hmm, that's a thing. They, which of course, like the answer, how does he see skin color is like, because his eyes work. Right. That's a combination. His eyes work, and at the ripe old age of three, we've drilled colors into them, right? right? right. We've made them repeat it over and Red, over again. Red, black, yellow. So he can see skin color, and he can see that his skin color is different from other people's skin color. Um, but what he was really noticing was the people who didn't have his skin color got treated got better Got treated than differently. And so then her response was, well, he, I, I remember this vividly. She leaned back in her chair and crossed her arms and said, well, he's just using that to manipulate you. And I it was fascinating to me that he could go in less than a minute from being unable to perceive color to like Machiavellian style manipulation (laughs) of deep social divisions. Like that was just a really kind of fascinating thing. And I do think part of it was like, even at three, he lodged a complaint that he he didn't even know that he was lodging that complaint. Right. right? right. He's just capturing this experience. I feel like I'm treated differently. I feel like I get in more trouble, which was, he did get in right i feel like i get in more trouble than these other people and i think it's here's a like here's a difference that i'm noticing um and you know what's interesting about that story is there's a fair bit of research that that kind of difference is happening in it happens all the time like did you see where the guy uh there's a police officer a black police officer on top of that which pissed me off got fired from his job i want to say in florida for arresting and mug shotting a six-year-old Yes, I did. Oh, my God. Yes, I did see that. What the hell? Well, that's the, and we know it starts as early as preschool, which, by the way, I would expect a director of preschool to be aware of that literature and right. conscious about how to maybe implement anti-bias curriculum. But um, 
But uh, with being the only little black kid in that class, yes, yep, that's why they didn't do. Why but, worry about it? But even if so, like, let's be maximally charitable and say that he wasn't being treated differently, or if he was being treated differently, he really was behaving worse. Like, let's just be maximally okay. charitable. Let's assume he was behaving worse, and that's why he was getting worse treatment. It's still relevant that he thought it was tracking something else, right? That's a thing that needs to be addressed, right? That children are attaching these, like, they're noticing these differences. They're noticing these patterns. And if they are mistakenly noticing the patterns, then let's address that. Right. But we can't just be like, how dare you notice a pattern? Because we go back to the how first part of this subject you, of, I'm feeling uncomfortable because you called out my racism. Well, and this is one of the things that um, you and I were, were talking about on the break, right, is that um, there is kind of a tendency for there to be like an expectation that white people will be treated in a certain way, mm. that we will be welcome where we go, that we will not be criticized, certainly by people with brown skin. Right. Who the hell is that? Um, so you will not, um, yeah, we, we kind of expect to be welcome. We expect not to be criticized. There was, we were talking about this case where the couple, um, used a sperm donor and the sperm bank mixed up the sperm and gave them the wrong sperm. They gave them the sperm of a black man and they sued in a wrongful birth suit. And one of the things they complained about was that when they took her to have her hair done, they had to go to a, um, a, a predominantly black salon and they were not quote overtly welcome, which is just like, what kind like, what does your life have to be like that you expect to be overtly welcome, but I will say that the first time I went to a predominantly black church, it was the most uncomfortable experience I've ever had in my life because I like I don't navigate the world as a minority. I just don't. So let me let me let me give you a little bit of grace on that though. So I'm reading well, I'm reading my by audio the follow up book to um, the Handmaid's Tale called The Testament. It, it is it has so many little jewels and nuggets like. You got to read this, folks. If you're into the handmade film, this is just awesome. But there's one part in there when Aunt Lydia is telling her story about being indoctrinated into Gilead society mm-hmm. and how they had put her in pretty much, they call it a thank tank, like being thankful. Mm-hmm. But it was like a isolation booth. And she she said this, and I just, some of the quotes in that book, like Margaret Atwood is just a <laughs> But she says that, Humans do not exist alone. We exist in relationship to other yeah. humans. So without those other people around, then we don't really feel like we really exist. Yeah. And it wasn't because, it wasn't only because you were probably the only white person yes. in that church, but you were also not with the people who you exist in relationship to. And we all yeah. feel uncomfortable. I That's get, true. As, as, as open and loud as I am, when I'm in a group of people that I don't know, black or white, I'm sitting in the corner, like, yeah. let me see what the fuck's going on here. But, you know, the other thing I think about, and this was, so when I joined that church, it was prior to the Charleston Massacre. Mm. But the other thing I think about is, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with being suspicious of white people walking, right? Like, I think it's fair to greet me with suspicion in that moment. And I um, I think when people, I think when people see me with my child, it is fair for black people to treat that with suspicion. Like, what... What are you doing? Are you right. doing things well? Are you doing, how did this happen? Um, but I was thinking, I had a, I had a friend from high school. Uh, we grew up in the same town, and he lives in North Carolina, and his church was doing a civil rights tour. It's part of a group that's, like, trying to figure out how the church can be more active on these issues. And so they passed through Birmingham, and they asked us to join them for the morning. And I, I've been thinking so much about this because we did, and it was this just a sea of white people and then me and my child and the tour guide who was black. <laughs> and... They were, and it's, I, I mean, I don't want to criticize it because they're, they're 
they're trying, right? They're trying to learn how to be allies. But I had this moment. So one of the things they were doing later was that they were going to worship at the 16th Street Baptist Church. And then members of the church were preparing for them a lunch. And I thought, that's incredibly gracious. But then I also thought, I wouldn't have the guts to do it. If I were a member of an organization famous in part for a deadly attack by white people, the idea of saying like, hey, white folks, come on in. Join us for church and lunch. Like, so, so part of my frustration with white fragility is like, we have earned that suspicion. Right. We, have, we have earned it all the time. And, and if Barack Obama gets like all the credit of all the black people, if we're going to be like, oh, well, he made it, so black people are fine, right? Like, right. if okay. one person signals, then, and we do this all the time, right? Then white people are lumped together, right? So like, you don't get to identify some groups by one representative but not others. And so white people don't, it is assumed that white people don't associate with white supremacists. But why? Right. We don't assume that people who are of a Muslim faith don't associate with, right? Like, there's no grace extended in all these other cases. But it, it, it's interesting, going back to that, um, the, the podcast with John Buin talking about seeing white. You know, they talk about that. Like, every group other than white people are usually gr- lumped together. Like, like. White people don't like being called white. Like yeah. they don't want to be, like put because that has a negative connotation to some people. Well, because you're usually signaling it for, right. also because white is just normal. So it's, if you're calling it out, you're calling it out for a reason. That that goes also into that. I'm telling you, that whole podcast, uh, seeing white was just outman. They call that um, it wasn't otherness. It was marketness. Yes. M-A-R-K-E-D-N-E-S-S. Which makes you simultaneously hyper-visible and invisible at once. Not only that, though, they were like, the the premise behind marketness was the fact that that which is normal does not need to be marked. So you don't have, like, historically white churches or historically white universities because that's just normal. They're just churches and universities. Whereas I have to mark this as not normal. So it's a historically black college and university or historically black church. Yeah. Because that's not normal. But whiteness is normal. Yeah. So we're not gonna we're not gonna add the adjective yeah. white to that, but we will add adjectives of color to everyone else but the one that is normal. Yeah. And that in itself is why like racism is so fucking prevalent. It's really bad. The hardest habit that I try to break is describing people in that way. So like if you're describing a white person, say white person. Right. Because if you were describing a black person, you would say black person. Um, unless you're so wrapped up in a taboo about race that you can't even bring yourself to use the skin color as a descriptor. I'm colorblind. But, you know, the the easiest way to break that habit, I mean, it's a hard habit to break, but the easiest way is to live with a six-year-old who, like, first question out of his mouth about people is, like, do they have brown skin or do they have white skin? Like, that's just, he's trying to visualize, and part of visualizing is... But he's visualizing and not, like, not racializing. Right. He Which just is, wants to know what color their skin is. Right, right. And I have a friend that 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 she is, she's pseudo. She's I call her a pseudo liberal. Like I know her for like almost thirty years, and she is like the person who, you know, I just hate what you know my people did to your people and blah blah yeah. blah blah blah. But then one day I was talking to some friends of mine. She went on this whole damn five minute rant about Asians. I hate Asians. <laughs> no, the Japanese, they're the worst. Whoa. I 
had a Japanese guy in the car on the street, and she was <gasps> on speakerphone when she did this. I almost shat my pants. Because <laughs> she's been so sweet to me all these years. Yeah. And I'm picking up my friend Ben. He's a... Uh, He's a trainer, and I forgot his friend's name. And his friend was like right, like straight out of Japan, Japanese. And he gets in the car, and I'm talking to Andrea, and she turns from talking about how you know she hates what happened to black people to them damn Asians. Like I understand oh why they had the internment camp. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh no, 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 no. no. And I like, what was I gonna also, do? How? How do you get there? Like, how <coughs> do you think? Well, it's unfair to treat this group this way. But because her father was in World War Two. Oh, there it is. And they felt like the Japanese were the worst thing ever. Forgetting what they did to the indigenous people here. That's what gets me about white people. Yeah. Like they will absolutely say the Japanese were the worst. They bombed Pearl Harbor. They did this. Y'all slaughtered the entire continent of people. We talked about this before, right? Mm-mm. Uh Coates' comment about how much he hated being shuttled off as a kid for Black History Month, where he would watch videos about civil rights. No. And that one of the things they always talk about, right? So so first of all, speaking of normalizing, Black History Month. Right. Also known as history. History. And Black History Month largely focuses on firsts and civil rights, right? It's like, it's like a, he, I think he calls it like a trivial pursuit category, it right? It is a it's trivial pursuit like, category. So, um, but one of the things he notes is like, for some reason, when they talk about Black History Month, when they talk about civil rights, they always preach the virtue of nonviolence. And he's like, "Oh yeah, we did talk about." Why is that a lesson only for us? Right. What like? Why do you? He was like, "I'm not saying it's not, a, but like it's it. This is apart from the merits of nonviolent movements. But like, why do only Black people need to celebrate nonviolent and movements? Get praise for it because." Seems that the people who could learn a nonviolence lesson <laughs> would be the colonizers. But I'm just saying. Right, right. Um, and I do, yeah, I think there's a, I, I, you know, when I think about that, I think, because even the way I think that we often teach the Martin Luther King, if we teach Malcolm X at all. No, the way not, we, white schools are not teaching Malcolm but X. But if they mention Malcolm X, it's like clearly in comparison to like, well, Martin Luther King's strategy. Right. Was he was a safe Negro. Isn't that what they meant? Right. Um, and again, nonviolence got morphed into because nobody ever reads the letter from the Birmingham jail. Nobody ever reads him calling out white people who say, I agree with your cause, but not your methods, and right. says, like, you're our threat. Right. You're the ones we have to be afraid of. Nobody ever preaches that version of Martin Luther King. Nobody ever preaches the version of him that says eleven o'clock on Sunday morning's the most no. segregated hour in America. Right? Like Preachers, we don't talk preach, about the things he said that. that got him hated. Right. Preachers will do that doing, like, if they're on a social justice movement. But most of the time, you don't really hear stuff like that. Which I think is, which is, so I was in the eighth grade when we had, when Black History Month was solidified. Mm. Like, 1981, 82. And prior to that time, you know, I, I was in the I was in eighth grade, so you know you went through world history, your, your seventh grade year. We had um, American history, Alabama history, all these different types of history. And what was sad was all the stuff that they had like relegated to Black History Month. Like other than Martin Luther King and George Washington Carver, literally, I had never been taught anything else about no. Black people ever. Like. Like 13 years of school, never heard anything, any accomplishment that black people did. And then it goes from Martin Luther King, 
um, Booker T. Washington, um, who else? Ag Gaston. Like we. We didn't. We didn't even get into the to the depth of it. Like, no. I pissed my. Well, I didn't piss my teacher off. I pissed my the, my uh, friends, my classmates off, because in eighth grade when we had our first Black History Month, Brian, that was so funny. Her name was Miss Phillips. Her name was Barbara Phillips. She was a black lady who wore these little round glasses. <laughs> like you know, back then they were smoking in class. You know, Miss Phillips had a cigarette hanging out of her mouth, and you know she'd be smoking. And one this this guy. I won't say his name was Keith Wheeler, big redhead white boy. He goes, Miss Phillips, my t- my mother said we're not. I'm not gonna do no report on no niggers. <gasps> and Miss Phillips said, Well, you tell your mama you're gonna get an F. Nice. <laughs> I was like, Nice. Yes. So while everybody else was doing reports on Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King, I did mine on Nat Turner. I love Nat Turner. There we go. <laughs> You know, Nat Turner is the reason why they didn't want us to read. Because what they taught them yep. how to read, and he was able to read that Bible. He was like, fuck these white folks. Uh-huh. We getting out of here. But Nat Turner is also a cautionary tale about how when people don't know their history, don't even know themselves, that, you know, it things can turn sideways. Like, black people were like, Nat, bro, like, why we need to leave master? We got these huts. We get yeah. food every day. Now he might beat our ass on Sundays, but you know, other than that, we good. Like, other why do we? Need, that, why do we need to be free? Oh my gosh! I had a friend who sent me her. I think her son was in second grade, and she sent me a picture of his homework assignment, and I just hit the roof. And she sent it to. She sent a response. She she sent it to me and said, like, "Can you help me craft a thoughtful way to engage with the teacher?" And it was just a worksheet. The teacher hadn't made it. Right. It's clearly out of a book, but it's about a poet who was a slave, who was enslaved. See. White people got to learn. <laughs> Who was enslaved. And one of the questions was something to the effect of like, was her life better or worse as a slave? Would it? Would she have been better off? And the narrative they Why were- Why is that even a question? So the narrative they were pitching was like, she was taught to read by her, by her, the people who- Enslaved, enslaved her. her, and she wouldn't have been taught to read because the background conditions were such, and da 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 da. And so she became, and I had this like it. Makes, they were extolling the virtues of slavery. So I had like it makes yes a possible answer, right? Like it makes like things were better given that she was enslaved than they would have otherwise been, and that's not the question we're engaged, right. Like we take as bedrock that right. that was unjust, right? And that you can't make it better, and you'll see this, right? You'll see arguments about. How were people who were enslaved treated? Were they really treated that badly? And look, they had roofs and they had da da da. And I'm like, no, no, no. Also, America, in America, the like liberty, that's the country where we're going to have that conversation. When I. Like, was, sure, sure, they had no liberty, but. It was. You know what they had? Roofs. Roofs over their heads. So. There was, um, uh, I'm going to take a break after this, but. You know, I told you that my high school was majority white, like 90% yeah. white, 10% black. And back in, I think my first wave of getting rid of my racist ass high school friends was in 2008. There was a second wave. <laughs> no, seriously. like I believe you. It's just funny that it's like they, first wave. They showed, wave. they showed their asses. Like the ones yeah. who were like, nigga, 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 while we were in high school. Like they really came out Yeah, you know, in 2008. 2012, there were a couple more that I had to get rid of. But it was 2016 where I had had my fill of white people from Pleasant Grove, Alabama. Sure. I had one of my friends. Had, 2016 was a hard year. It was. It really was. Brought out some bad. Oh, my God. There were so many. You know what? 
I'm gonna take a break. All and, right. And we'll come back and we'll talk about the stories that led me to unfriend and and, and vow never to go to another fucking high school reunion. Right. I will never go to another high school reunion at Pleasant Grove. Never. But we'll talk about what that what All right. that was. Sounds good. All right. <laughs> Do you have an active sex life? PrEP is a once-a-day pill that prevents HIV and is now available at the Livewell PrEP Clinic on the south side of the hub. PrEP is safe for men and women who have active sex lives and want to decrease their chances of contracting HIV. For more information about PrEP and the Livewell PrEP Clinic, call 205-324-9822 or go to www.gcpm.com and click on appointments. Or if you just need to get tested, call us. So we are back. Uh, again, thank y'all for listening. And let me say this. Um, if y'all got any show ideas or anything you want me and Brian talk about, I feel like this is Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> like this is Bonnie and Clyde. We gotta do one on children's books though, because that's my whole thing. Uh, let's do. Let's talk right. about your book. Okay, yeah. well, that's another episode. So, um, as I said before the break, I want to talk a little bit about my uh, jumping off of the racist sinking boat that was my house. <laughs> so, the, a, a little a little disclaimer. So, I grew up in a place called Dolomite, Alabama. It was really small. We got busted to Pleasant Grove, which is the next largest city. Pleasant Grove was like 100% white when I was in high school. Like, literally, wow. my junior and senior uh, year of high school, so we're talking about 1984, 1985, I remember two black families moving into Pleasant, into Pleasant Grove. Both of their houses got burned. Oh, my God. But they're not racist. Don't you dare call them racist. So um, that was what Pleasant Grove looked like to me then. Just quick pause. Here's how bad our education is on this on the fragility front. I work on this. I talk to you about this all the time. I still just had a like. They still do that. They still do, like. I still had a shock that that's not like way back then. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So so that was that was high school. But on the flip side of that, being um, smart and being gay. And I don't know if I was, I wasn't expressing my gayness back then. I was just weird and different than most other little boys. Mm-hmm. I didn't play sports. Uh, I didn't run track. But none of the sports stuff, I wasn't really that interested in girls. So people kind of knew, even when I didn't have the words for what I was, like people like knew who I was. Yeah. And so black people in particular would use that against me. Like mm-hmm. some of the bigger boys would jump on me. And like, so... I was in a weird spot. Like, yeah. I was not black enough for the black people, and I wasn't white enough for the white people, but the white people actually treated me better than the black people did because I was the safe Negro. I was a safe, smart the good Negro. one. I was the good one. You know, Tony Walker, that's, 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 that's the guy. He's the boy. So we fast forward to 2008, <laughs> and um, we graduated in 85. I didn't go to my 10-year reunion, but I did go to my 20-year reunion in 2005. And I reluctantly went because I had a lot of bad feels about high school. Like, I'm like, fuck these motherfuckers. I didn't like them. You know, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. So I went, and it was actually fairly decent. Like, even the people who I knew were kind of racist in high school were all kind of cool because, you know, they were hiding their racism. You know, there were a couple of microaggressions that got said, but, you know, he's like, oh, that's just Liz, you know. So, 2008. <laughs> Had a class of 128, about a hundred out of 128, about 25 of us were black. So, 2008, Barack Obama becomes president of the United States, and they lost their shit. The white lash. The white lash. Yeah. Like they literally lost their shit. So I probably got rid of about half of them then, and the rest of them were like, "Okay, we just not gonna say nigger out loud because we don't want to make Tony mad." It's not politically correct. It's not right, right. So you know, so we had that. So then, 2012 came around, 
like I remember my boss in 2012 when they were counting the Romney. Vote. I like that you're whispering. No, like this, nobody will hear you. Look, this is so as funny. long as you say it quietly no, on your podcast. No, because this is what my boss said. He was in this office and I heard him talking to one of his people. And he was like, "Yeah, you know, he's winning right now, but after five o'clock, when people get out of work, our numbers are." Go- oh, when the people who have jobs, the mm-hmm. gainfully employed people, yeah, those, those. Mm-hmm. He said, "When our people get out of work, our yep. people." Mm-hmm. Yes, got to hand it to him. I've never, I, you rarely hear somebody say that about white people, our people. He said when they get out of work, then the numbers will change. But you know, Mitt Romney lost and uh, Barack Obama became president. You know, again. part of what's funny to me about that is that a running narrative for Barack Obama was that people are voting for him just because he's black. But that guy just full scale endorsed voting for somebody else just because he's white and attributed that practice to everybody else. But he would never admit to that. He would never, he would say like, well, you're just voting for Obama because he's black. Yeah. I'm voting for Mitt Romney because he's better. You know, the, <laughs> the, other, the other thing about that, even if every black person in the country were to vote for Barack Obama, we couldn't get him elected because there's not enough of us. Let's just put that there. Certainly too. not with the recognized right to vote. Right. <laughs> Don't even get me started on that. So anyway, so that happened and I lost some more white friends then. The, the, the straw that broke the camel's back when I was like, like I may be friends with three white people from high school right now. And that's only just just because I haven't seen them do anything. Yeah. Either way. Yeah. But um, one of my friends had posted this uh, article talking about the antebellum South. And it was like, you know, the antebellum South was an agrarian world in which you had gentlemen and ladies who... Oh, it's like the intro to Gone, Gone with, with the Wind. wind. That yeah. bullshit. Mm-hmm. You know, drinking mint juleps and, you know, uh-huh. yeah. making dresses out of curtains, that type of bullshit. <laughs> and I, and I, it, one of the reasons why I don't comment on people's Facebook posts, because I usually only want to comment on the ones that I hate. Yeah. But I had to swallow that this day. Come like... Really, Jamie? Like, this is what y'all think about the agrarian South? Like, we're not going to mention the people who were enslaved and getting beat while, you know, your granddad and them around here making money? Like, this family separated, right? People fa- raped, right? Right. We're not going to talk Children about that. Children sold. Oh, like Tony. Child, no. Oh, Tony Walker. There you go with that racism stuff. This isn't about racism. There you Bitch, go what? with that racism. No, because you only have fond memories of the South in history. You only have fond memories of history if you are white. Right. Like that's I, all that. Like, I was like, really, bitch. Like this is what we're doing. Like this I is what s- we're gonna do. I saw a video once that was like people standing around talking about. If they could travel to any time in the past, where would they go? And so, you know, it's like people are like, I'd go to 18, so da, 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 da. And this one black girl was like, no. <laughs> the, <laughs> no. 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 There's no, I would go to no time in the past. None. There is no time in the past. So, so it makes that whole mantra, make, it, make America great again, or make us how we used to be, like even oh, more racist the, than it. The Make America Great Again, I, I had an argument with somebody about that because I said, like, it's not even a dog whistle. It's a straightforward threat. And right. many of us experience it like a threat. Like, we respond to that phrase like it is a threat. Right. And he said, I think it's about the future. And I was like, literally not how words work. Literally not. There's no, there's, you can't say Make America Great Again. Again. What are you talking about? The future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the time we've not yet seen repeating the past you're talking That's about the, what the, the future repeating the past is what they're talking about uh no it was horrible and you know you and i have talked about this too i think the other thing i know i get really disappointed about this and this was a learning this was a real learning curve for me with ben is that i think a lot of people don't consider themselves racist 
because they these are views they would not endorse. They would not endorse views that black people are lazy. They would not endorse, right? They would actively find those offensive. But the next question is, would you say something about it? Would you tolerate it? Would you, right? right. Because you can find it actively offensive, but if somebody says it in your presence and you don't respond, you are complicit in the, like, this is where we are now. So that was the, that was the crux of, the video that I did on my Facebook page the other day when I said if you have employees who are constantly posting about racism, you should congratulate them because they're talking about things that you're ignoring. Yeah. And it goes back to um, it's it's not enough to not be a racist. You have to be anti-racist. Have we talked about this, Beverly Daniel Tatum? Because, you know, she's my hero. We have not, but I'd love to hear your take on that. So, so, so for anybody listening, why are all the black, especially if you're white, why are all the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria is like a life-changing book. It changes everything. Because part of what it talks about is that white people, it's not that race doesn't matter to us, it's that we don't have to develop a racial identity. Right. And so when we are confronted about our racial identity, we have no idea what to do with ourselves. Um, and it talks about racial identity often being formed in opposition, right? So it's, and that's how you get. Because nobody ever says, why are all the white kids sitting together? Right. Um, that's not threatening looking to anyone. So, but she talks about, she says, racism is like smog in the air. You're breathing it no matter what. It's so pervasive. It's everywhere. You're breathing it. And so she, she says, like, think about being on a moving walkway. Right. Um, if you are actively racist, you're running down the walkway. If you are um, passively racist, which basically means anything short of, anti-racist right. right you're standing but you're still going where those other people are going right. and so what you have to do to be anti-racist is turn around and walk the other direction and i had a friend kamala who pointed out she said like also think about moving walkways think about how fast you've got to move it in the other direction to yeah. beat the walkway like to beat the walkway, to yeah. get to the other side of the yeah. walkway um and i loved that example because i thought yeah how many times have i tolerated or allowed something that meant that, like, a white person could have spoken up, and I didn't. But, you know, I think as 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 identities, I think we do that a lot. Like, I have to say, and, you know, and take my chops for this, I've been guilty of that in the past when it comes to, like, trans people or yeah. really, really effeminate gay guys. Mm -hmm. Because even though we talk about privilege, I do think that privilege does have levels. Like, you know, I have a male privilege that you don't experience. Right. Whereas you have a white privilege that I don't experience. You right. know, so we're all... Kind of like on this like hierarchical, yeah, like, like board, and yeah. it's like who is the privilege game? Let the privilege board yeah. yay. But I have gotten to the point now where I won't sit around and be silent. Like I never really would endorse it, but I also would be kind of silent. Yeah, you know, I'll give you a perfect example. So let's take Ben for instance. You know, with him and his little flowing hair right now, his beautiful little dresses. You yes. know, there would have been a time when I may have heard someone say something about him. And would have been like, whether I knew him or not, would have just ignored it. And like, they, you say something about my baby, now I'm going to whoop your ass. Yeah. You know, that's just the way that's going to, that's the way that's going to fall out. Yeah. But I'm also like that about my trans brothers and sisters now. I'm like that about the effeminate gay guys. Like, yeah. I think that as an activist, as a serious activist, you cannot worry about your particular silo. And not be concerned about the silos I of other people. I think that's people. exactly right. And I also, you know, the best advice I ever heard is like, if for some reason, if it's unsafe, if it's right to like, if it's to make the challenge in the moment, 
the best advice I got was like, at least be the second person to say it. At least. If for some reason you can't be the first, then the minute it gets said, be the voice that shows up right. and says like, yes, that's right. That's and, not. And it's funny you said, because I always feel like that if no one's going to say anything, I'm going to be that first person. Who's yeah. Hoping that somebody will back you up. Right. And usually they will. It just takes one person to, to break that tension before other people will join in and say, okay, yeah, that was fucked up. Yeah, I should have done that. Also, I think we've talked about this off air, but never on air. There is a Facebook post called uh, White Nonsense Roundup where, because, and there it's it's white people who are. Um, this is the open group is all I want to yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can join it. They're educated in scholarly work on racism in America. And so you can tag them into comments because their whole thing is like, it should not be the burden of black people to educate white people on their own oppression. Like this is, that's not your job. Um, and you know, my favorite, my favorite version of it was when Jesse Williams said, it is not the burden of the oppressed to comfort the bystander. Right. So, um, or I think he actually said it's not the burden of the brutalized, but you, but you can tag these people into a comment thread and they will respond and engage thoughtfully and meaningfully because they have like, it's not your job. Go do whatever else you were supposed to be doing. That is funny that you mentioned that because I have a friend, uh, actually a church member by the name of Bobby Matthews. I love Bobby and his wife, Misty. And Bobby is my person like that. Like if I ever want to confront white nonsense, yeah, I just say Bobby and so I'm like, you get them because they're not going to listen to me. And he, yeah. He's right there for it. I mean, he's, he's right there for it. But you're right, it's not our job to, to do that. But I also feel like, which is why I'm going to have that forum in the next couple of weeks, that I want a forum on white people talking about racism and deconstructing racism to other white people because they just don't listen to us. Yeah. Like, if I say it, then I'm playing the race card, you know. This is what I always say about children's books when people, when I talk about the whiteness of children's literature. <laughs> and everywhere I speak, people are like, whoa whoa right like i have a i have a tedx talk that's got something like twenty one thousand views or something because people are like oh my god and i'm like i'm not even it's not just that i'm not the only person saying this i'm like 60 years late in the argument about this but when i say it i don't get accused of making everything about race i am making like an insightful point that a caring mother would notice when you when you talked about ben uh recognizing that he got treated differently uh, because of his skin color, it reminded me of my best friend Marie. Her son uh, Lawrence, we call him Button. Lawrence and my son are the same age, so they're about thirty-three now. And um, Lawrence was about maybe six years old, probably about six. You know those old Bugs? But now you want to see some racism? Watch an old Bugs Bunny cartoon. Yeah, Bugs Bunny, all that Tom and Jerry, yeah. like all of it, just racist as shit. But, you know, because that's what we were brought up on, we didn't really look at it like that. I didn't start looking at cartoons like that until Lawrence was watching this. You remember that Bugs Bunny cartoon with the guy on the plantation with the long um, mustache? He had the big old dog named Belvedere. Oh, Belvedere, come here, boy. You know. Oh, my gosh. And Lawrence was sitting there watching it because he had Belvedere, which was this big white ass dog. And he had this little brown dog that they treated like shit. And Lawrence looked at the television, and he goes, Mama, why do they treat the black dog worse than they treat the white dog? I was like, God damn it. There you go. There you go. There you go. Like, there you go. But then you, once you notice that, though, you notice it's everything. everywhere. You notice everything else. I call it the arrow in the FedEx logo, that, like, once you've spotted the arrow, it's that's, always it's, you can't right. unsee it. It's all you will see. Yeah. 
everywhere you go. But when I saw that, it made me look at all those cartoons differently. Like, like, I like some of my favorite cartoons were some of those um, Bugs Bunny cartoons, and all of the bad animals were always dark. Like, even with the uh, <laughs> no, seriously, like, no, I yeah, like even when you look at this is the, the Doctor Seuss phenomenon too, right? It's mm-hmm. almost like when you look at the animals, even when they was like an antihero, like Roadrunner. Roadrunner was kind of like an antihero. Yeah. But the brown coyote was chasing Roadrunner. Yeah. You had Tom and Jerry. Jerry was the stealing little brown rat, even though Tom... And I noticed that the gray animals are kind of like somewhere in the middle. You know, one of the things Beverly Daniel Tatum talks about, she says that she disagrees with her sons on this. Her sons argue back about this. But she talks about the voices in the Lion King, the original Lion King movie. So she talks about the voices of the hyenas. So she says, like, yes, yes, James Earl Jones is... Mufasa. is Mufasa, but children won't know that voice. Children right. don't, and you don't hear it as a, quote, black voice, no, right? You know Whereas the voices of the hyenas, um, and so she says, like, this is, for me, it happens on gender, right? I loved Little Mermaid growing up, and now as an adult, I have, like, wait, tell me again. She trades her voice for a man? <laughs> she The deal is that she trades her voice for a man who doesn't even casually wonder whether she can read and write. <laughs> like, that's... It doesn't even dawn on him that he, that she might be literate, and she literally <laughs> traded her. Like the messaging is so bad that I right. just don't. I I can't even. My heart like hurts from the. I tell students I call this the Disney problem, right? So you point to, and there's I think there's two Disney problems at least. So one Disney problem is point to the movie about people where success is not defined in terms of romantic relationships. Very hard to find. There's a couple, but there's only a couple. Name one. The second up. Uh, okay. The second, but that's the only one I've. Yeah. So Frozen, it's not supposed to be the focus, but still part of the happy ending is Anna. And, right. But um, the second Disney problem is, of course, like everybody celebrates Tiana. Tiana spends the movie as a frog. Tiana spends the movie as a frog. She is black in the beginning and working for wealthy white people. She is black in the end and a princess who marries a lighter-skinned prince. But Tiana spends all the minutes in between those as a frog. So, like, can we not celebrate this as a <laughs> as a breakthrough for... You just ruined the princess and the frog. I know. So Ben loves this movie, and I just, like, it hurts my soul that he loves it because I don't want to tell him not to watch it, but I also want to be like, can we talk about why she's in animal form the whole time, which is true of no other... Yeah. Disney princesses. Yeah, Disney has been problematic for a while. We feature Sleeping Beauty even when she's just sleeping. <laughs> she still gets to be able. We see her. Right. Mm. 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 Yeah. Yeah. That's deep. Right. That's deep. Yeah. So, are we gonna fix racism today? I, I think yeah. I'm getting more <laughs> and more optimistic about it. Every time we have a podcast, I leave thinking. We've got it. Yeah. No, but I will tell you to end on a very tragic slash kind of precious note. So we joined that tour, and they were at Kelly Ingram Park. And he was talking about the Alabama Christian Coalition that formed when the NAACP was outlawed. Right. And that they would link arms and they would sing, We Shall Overcome. And so this group of people start singing, and all of a sudden I hear this tiny little angelic voice. And I look down, and my son is singing, We Shall, which I didn't know he knew, but of course Red Mountain. Should have known. Right. Should have oh, known. Oh, yeah, yeah. So then we were leaving, and we had parked across the street from 16th Street Baptist. We were going back to the car while the tour group was going on, 
And Ben said, well, they forgot to sing. And he sang the we'll walk hand in hand, like as he was walking by the church. And it was just a really, I don't know. I'm not actually hopeful, but moments like that, I think like, all right, we will walk hand in hand. Someday, someday, you know. It's I, just... try to be, I try to be hopeful, but I mean. Well, because if you're not, it's hard to fight the fight. Yeah, but I'm not hopeful. Like I'm, I know. I, like, you, did you see what Nancy Pelosi and my ex are going to do impeachment on? I just saw the alert on my, on yeah, right before I'm, I left I'm not hopeful here. about that either. No, I, I'm, I'm afraid it's political suicide. Yeah. I, I still think it's the right. I think it's the right thing to do, but thing I think it's not smart. I, I, but I think this is one of those places I have always maintained this. Republicans are better at the long game than Democrats are. They're just better. They're yeah. better at the long game. So they can lose every short-term battle there is. They're, gonna, they're winning the war. It doesn't matter. Because they cheat. Anyway. <laughs> Look, this... The- we're going to do children's books next. And that one's going to be practical because there are actual things we, we're going to tell people they've got to do. For this one... Let's leave a practical. Let's okay. give an action item. Okay. We can Stop saying people if what you mean is white people. If you're talking about somebody, describe them as being white. Stop normalizing whiteness like it's a default. But what? Okay. One other thing. Then we, yeah, <laughs> that, that, yeah. Stop normalizing whiteness. But that was that was something I was gonna say earlier about even when you look at how the news reports the news. Yeah. If three people get killed in Hoover, they're gonna have a camera focused on the house, and then the reporter's gonna tell the narrative, and then you're gonna go back to Scotty with the weather. Yes. Somebody gets shot in Ellison Village. They got the cameras around there. They they find the first person they can find with mi- at least five teeth missing, and they want to know everything that they know. <laughs> it's just fucked up. It's been happening like that for years. But anyway, look, that does it for this episode of uh, Let Me Say This. We thank y'all for listening. Again, if you have any show ideas, let us know. Inbox us, and uh, we'll see y'all in a couple of weeks. Peace. Thank you.